So we'll start off this morning with Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. And this is talking about, uh, we know it as God's peaceable kingdom. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what's the reason for the peace? It talks about uh, things that are very different than they are now. Maybe the way they were in the Garden of Eden and surely the way they were on Noah's Ark and all those animals together, predator and prey, all in the same place, and nobody's getting eaten. And so we look at this and we think, well, this is a great goal for the future. And so it's talking about a future when all of nation, all of creation, all of nature is back in harmony, and there's no death and dying, there's no competition, there's no uh, dominance, it's the kind of thing that they all live together in perfect harmony and peace. And what's the cause of that? We don't always stop and look at what causes that to take place. It's because there's no, going to be no harm, nobody going to be destroyed, destroyed on God's holy mountain because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The reason for the absence of harm is to be found in the knowledge of God. Now, that's not information. That's relationally based understanding. It's not dead facts or sterile information only, but rather a living, personal relationship. Because of the loving God who not only works creatively but redemptively as well, all creation is filled with his presence, imparting to all life, meaning, value, and beauty. And that's taking place right now, isn't it, on a daily basis. Get up this morning. The rain had been here for, for many people. It was fresh and clean. It was cool outside. On a day like today, you can see the certainty of what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah prophesies that this knowledge of God will be so extensive that it will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And just as the sea, to the fullness of its capacity, is filled with water, so the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, immersed, submerged in God. And the result of that knowledge, that fullness, will be peace. A writer by the name of Robert Persig makes this statement. To live only for some future goal is shallow. It's the sides of the mountain which sustain life, not the top. Here's where things grow. But of course, without the top, you can't have the sides. It is the top that defines the sides. So this peaceable kingdom that we're looking at, that Isaiah envisages here, he has a vision of, <laughs> that is in the future, isn't it? 
And that is a goal toward which all of creation is going. But to live with that only in the future is a very shallow way to live. Because if you're living only for the future, you miss what's happening today. And your today becomes meaningless and empty, just like the containers over there. Empty, nothing in them at all. So Isaiah earlier had been in the temple on the Lord's Day, and he got a vision of God. Now this was a man of God already. He was a prophet. He was used and anointed by God, used by him to speak to the nation. And yet, for the first time, he saw God as he really is. And when he saw God as he really is, it completely broke him inside. Because only when we see God as he truly is, do we see ourselves as we really are, and we see our desperate need of him. Grace becomes grace when we see our, our lack. So Isaiah says, he's there, he sees the seraphim, the burning ones, uh, flying around the throne of God. And this is what they're saying to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you see it? Do you experience it? Are you living in that glory? God's glory is the revelation of his attributes, his nature, his character, through what he has made. He has made us, as well as the things around us. It's God's declarative glory revealed through the created universe. And it's everywhere. It's unavoidable. You can't miss it. It's very clear. It's plain to all. But man in rebellion and sin is deliberately turned away from this knowledge. So Paul warns Timothy about those who are always learning. That means they're open to anyone, but never able to acknowledge the truth. In a way, it's like the people of Athens that Paul went to and talked to, the philosophers, the lovers of wisdom. Acts 17.21 says, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. A lot of Christians are that way. There are fads in the church, you know. And uh, it's an amazing thing if you ever listen to preachers on the radio that um, oftentimes all these guys, all these different stations, all these different places they're coming from, they're talking about the same theme. Did you ever notice that? One guy gets an idea and everybody jumps on it. Another guy gets an idea and everybody jumps on it. It's the latest fad. It's the latest thing. It's the latest idea. Everybody wants to understand. Nobody wants to obey. And so it's easier just to go from idea to idea, from concept to concept. And it's never costly because you don't, you're not required to do anything or to be anything because you're constantly learning but never able to acknowledge the truth by putting it into practice in our lives, by living it out, by experiencing what God is doing. Peter warns the church about people who deliberately forget. He says that they are willingly ignorant of the things of God, the truth of God's continued involvement with people. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes a very strong and clear statement about this. It starts in verse 18. 
And we read this a lot, but we never stop and think about it, I think. Or I don't, as I should. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. That's current event. Look around us and see what's happening in the world. Seeing where we are. What's taking place around us. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The word suppress means you hold it down. You know the truth and you're pushing it down lest it becomes free and everybody knows the truth. Because what happens when we know the truth is he sets us free. And this world wants us in bondage, in conformity, uh, to fit into the mold, in the ways of thinking and ways of acting and reacting. And so he talks about people who deliberately hold down. It's a deliberate, intentional, aggressive rebellion against the clear revelation of God. So as you read through the rest of Romans chapter 1, it says that the entirety of creation, both visible and invisible, speaks with voices clear and positive of the glory of the holy God. You don't even have to go to church. Just walk outside. And the attributes, the character and nature of God are clearly seen in what he's done, what he's given, freely given, God's grace available to every single person. But the kind of world we live in, again, I have this quote that I shared with you last week. I like it. I want to share it with you again. It's from Saul Bellow. And he says, A great deal of intelligence can be invested in ignorance when the need for illusion is deep. And that's where we live. This is where we are as a nation. And too often, this is where we are as Christian people. A great deal of intelligence invested in ignorance when the need for illusion is deep. And we believe the lie. And we buy into it by the way that we live and by our actions and reactions. We've bought into it. So that's the way those ungodly sinners are, isn't it? Well, the problem is, it's more than them. It's us. In Isaiah chapter 42, the call of God to God's people, the blessings, the grace, the miracles, the power, the revelations, um, the tremendous personal communication regularly with His people. In Isaiah chapter 42, verses 18 through 23, Hear you deaf, look you blind and see. Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one committed to me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but have paid no attention. Your ears are open, but you hear nothing. And then down in verse 22, 23, sorry. Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? He's talking to God's people. And he's saying too often, as, even as Christians living in this world, 
we get more caught up with the things that are taking place around us. We buy into the lies and the fears that our society and our politicians and our culture, our economists and our sociologists and our physicians try to tell us. We buy into that fear and they manipulate us and control us. God spoke to Isaiah earlier and he said, don't fear what these people fear. Don't call a conspiracy what they're calling a conspiracy. God is the one that we are to fear. He is the one that we are to honor. And we don't have to worry about the rest. But even as God's people, as God speaks and He, he calls us so clearly, we're like blind and deaf people. And so He's looking for His people to awaken. So about 150 years after Isaiah wrote, God sent another prophet. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah. His name was Habakkuk. Habakkuk has a problem. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah. He's living in the days when God is destroying His holy people. And the temple of God, where God's name is, and the Holy of Holies, and the Ark of the Covenant, going to be destroyed and leveled to the ground because of the sinfulness of God's people. Habakkuk is living in those days. He's experiencing that. He's going through the crisis. He's seeing his nation that was once strong and powerful become weak and weak. They're being attacked by foreign invaders from all sides. And God is calling them to repentance, and they're not. And he's calling them to change, and they're not. And so... The destruction is coming. And Habakkuk knows it because God has shown it to him. So he's writing in the days of the collapse of Jerusalem and Judah. Outside and inside, there is oppression and injustice through crime and bloodshed, through moral, social, and spiritual corruption. In other words, Habakkuk and Jeremiah were living in days much like our own. Right? Pick up the newspaper. Listen to the news reports on TV. Or just look around you and see what's happening. So Habakkuk says this in chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. He's talking about uh, all these things that we just talked about, the, um, the corruption and the bloodshed and the violence within and without. And he's saying all these nations, all the uproar, they exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then he pronounces woe upon all these people who are living for themselves and corrupting and taking advantage, manipulating other people. And he ends with verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And he says there's a day coming when this knowledge of God comes. And for many people in the world today, it's going to be bad news. Because he comes with holiness and righteousness. With justice. And he judges according to the truth. 
Not the manufactured, manipulated truth that we deal with, but deals with the truth. And so he prays in chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's a prayer we need to pray. These men who lived through this, these men and women who faithfully followed God through the destruction of their own country, through the social, political, economic turmoil, through the oppression and the slavery that was coming, trusted God. And God was with them. He is faithful. So what hope do we have? Are we still talking about the future? In Isaiah chapter 40, this great chapter that is such a strength to all Christians everywhere, the tremendous invitation and command that God gives in chapter 40, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for. And starting with verse 3, you have the words picked up on by John the Baptist, uh, getting ready to announce the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level the rugged places of plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so he's not talking now about something way far in the future. He's talking about the glory of God that's going to be revealed in a way that all people, all mankind will see it. And this is where the Apostle John steps in. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. So we don't have to wait for the peaceable kingdom to come to experience on a personal level the fullness of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. You remember the prophecy was that those who come to Christ, those who are thirsty, come and drink from Him. Out of His inmost being will flow Streams, rivers of living water, the overflow, the excess of what God is doing in us and through us. That's where we need to live today. That's what Jesus came to give us. That's what it means to be the church. In a world lamenting its confusion, fear, and emptiness, Christ offers himself and his fullness to overflow in our hearts and lives. In Colossians chapter 1, 
verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's in Christ, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Then in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you, the church, have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So there needs to be no fear. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's praying for the Ephesian Christians. Starting with verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So there doesn't need to be a reason for us to be empty Christians, to have the cup with the one M&M. He wants to give us abundantly of himself. It's a relational revelation, knowing who he is. If we have him, We need nothing else. And earth has nothing that we desire besides Him. All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form in Christ Jesus and you are made complete, given fullness in Him. Let's pray. Father, we long for the day when the peaceable kingdom is established on this earth completely and finally. When the harmony and the peace, the unity and the oneness that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit becomes a reality within all of our lives and upon this earth. When all creation is at peace because we know who you are and your presence is with us. Lord, we pray that we won't be content to wait for that day, but because of you've given us of your Son, we can begin as a down payment for the rest of the earth to experience that and live it out in our daily lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, in our community, that the world might see and know the fullness of the deity of Christ dwells within us. Lord, we pray that you would glorify your name in the hearts and lives of your people. Amen. Too often...